welcome to the Beaver Tales podcast. If you leave a five-star review, Josh Wharton promises to give you $50 and a free shout-out on the podcast. Welcome to the Beaver Tales podcast. I am Josh Wharton. Okay, okay, I'm not actually promising you $50. No, I'm not bribing you. However, we may do some giveaways soon, actually, and uh, promote the podcast a little bit more. But no, not technically a promise of $50, but I do appreciate you listening, reviewing, and sharing this podcast especially with some fantastic guests in Beaver history, like today's guest, Matt Severson, a critical part of the 2007 Civil War football game down in Autzen Stadium. We recap that game and go through what his career has been like since leaving Oregon State about 13 years ago. Before I get to Matt's bio, I want to give a shout out to Kingdom Home. I'd like to give a mention to a different nonprofit on each episode, and I think I'll mention Kingdom Home on a few episodes because I'm honestly surprised I hadn't thought of them before, especially with their Oregon State connection. Kingdom Home is a charity that's mission is to end child sex slavery through prevention. Kingdom Home does this by providing a safe place to live for children at risk of entering the sex trade. It's based in Uganda. Kingdom Home equips the children in their care to live abundant lives and be difference makers in their communities. The leaders and organizers of this charity, Matt Boyd and Ashley Boyd. Matt was a star pitcher for Oregon State and now plays for the Detroit Tigers. And his now wife, Ashley, are the ones who lead this nonprofit. Based in Uganda, they go over and visit when they can and have uh, house parents and people there in Uganda helping out with this charity. It's a fantastic organization. And uh, please check them out if you hadn't already heard of Kingdom Home. And you can find them at Kingdom Home. Dot org. Today's guest is also an Oregon State star named Matt, just like Matt Boyd, but it's Matt Severson, a native of Central Oregon from Bend, came over to Oregon State as a defensive back, played safety for a couple of years before switching to running back, and was mainly Evanson Bernard's backup for a couple of seasons. In most games, he'd get maybe 5, 10 carries usually, you know, 20, 30 yards a game. That was pretty typical for him. Until one game, his final regular season game of his career, 2007, Oregon State and Oregon in Autzen Stadium for the Civil War. No road team had won the Civil War since 1996. Matt Severson got the start due to an injury to Evanson Bernard, and he got 27 carries that game, a career-high 142 yards as Oregon State defeated Oregon double overtime 38-31. Severson's first carry of the game was a 38-yard touchdown run, the very second play of the contest. So he did not wait long to make an impact and posted his best game of his career. We reminisce about that game, talk about other moments in his Oregon State career and his current job. He's since moved back to Bend and works in the mortgage game. He's a mortgage advisor for Northwestern Home Loans. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Oregon State running back Matt Severson. Matt, thanks for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast. How are you doing and how are you spending the quarantine these days? I'm great. You know, working from home, so it's a little different, but uh, overall, it hasn't been too difficult. Girlfriend and I live together, and so far, we've managed to stay amicable and haven't haven't talked about it. Anyone going to a hotel or getting kicked out or sleeping on the couch yet. So it's, it's a little different for sure, but, uh, you know, still plugging along. Let's start with your memories of Oregon State before we get into your current job and what you've done since your OSU career. When you came from Central Oregon over to the Mid Willamette Valley in Corvallis, you started as a defensive player. Take me through 
how maybe difficult that was or if you felt like that was your natural position or what you wanted to take me through the first few years before you even got to your senior season. Yeah, um, I was I was a defensive back the first two years and then made a switch to offense my, my third year. But it was kind of funny, you know, I uh, coming from from Central Oregon, obviously, I think that the talent level and the, com- the competitive level gets gets bigger when we started playing teams in high school from from the Valley or Southern Oregon. And then, you know, coming from from Central Oregon, all of a sudden you're 18 years old in your first fall camp and playing at that level was uh, was eye opening, to say the least found out that I, I wasn't the fastest on the field anymore and I definitely wasn't the biggest and I tend to bounce off guys instead of being able to run through guys so that was a that was a huge adjustment but spent the first two years as defensive back in safety and played as a true freshman a lot on special teams thought safety was a good fit for me but after playing offense my last two years in high school I hadn't tackled anybody since I was basically a sophomore and going from being a sophomore in high school to all of a sudden being on the on the field with Reggie Bush and Marson Lynch we were we're at Cal and USC, respectively, when I was my freshman year. And guys like that in the Pac-10, I, I, I felt like I was pretty good in coverage or had a good feel for safety. But when it came to tackling someone, it was a whole different whole different ball game. So played two years there on, on the defensive side of the ball and, and thought that was a good fit, but just didn't quite, you know, get the get the feel for, for maybe all aspects of that side of the ball. And then through a couple really good players coming in on that side of the ball, Al Afalava's one, Daniel Drayton, a couple guys like that. And, uh, you know, a couple injuries or setbacks for me. I got switched over the offensive side of the ball, which really how I kind of grew up playing the game and made a name for myself and just kind of got back into what, what I knew. And uh, unfortunately, got a couple opportunities to, to play and show what I could do and took some good hits and had some good runs and, and had a lot of fun. So your senior year, 2007, you're playing running back and you're in the mix. Evanson was also in his senior season that year, so he's getting the bulk of the carries, and Clinton Polk is getting a few touches here and there as well. To the final game of the season, where you had played some, but you were not the workhorse tailback. Take me through that week, and at what point you knew you were going to be the starter. Yeah, like like you said, I mean, I had a, I had probably up to that game, you know, I had a couple games where I had, I think, anywhere from 12 to 16 touches something like that for two or three games and the rest of the games were just uh a handful of touches and hey going on third down and pick up that blitzing linebacker for pass protection right and give him a break but um but yeah I mean I was I was excited the one start I had before that game was at USC back when SC was was a top three program and and got got a little banged around in that game so I wasn't my first start, which I think helped. You know, I had a little exposure going into the week. Obviously, if, if Ed was healthy, we wanted him out there. So it was kind of like, hey, pretty good idea that he wasn't going to play. But just, you know, the, just be aware that if he's ready to go, he's going to be the man, which was completely fine because he carried us all for the last, like, think, I think three years at that point or two years. So um, I just approached it like I was going to start. You know, I had the mindset going in there where – be ready to go. And then, of course, you know, when you when you get to Wednesday and Thursday and, and Ev hasn't participated in practice and you kind of know for sure, like, okay, this is going to be your game. And, and I think Riley told me before, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to give you the ball and you need to show up and produce. And, yeah, I remember going to bed and got a good night's sleep and was just like, hey, this is from a kid from Oregon, especially Central Oregon, watching the Civil War for all those years. This is a dream come true opportunity. And just go out there and make the most of it. And back in those days, and I mean, we, we had a hell of an offensive line with some great players, and I knew they were going to open up the holes and the opportunities were going to be there. And I was just determined not to let them down and take advantage of it when I could. As big as the Civil War is to any player for Oregon State and Oregon, I'm guessing being from the state, being from Bend, it meant that much more to you. How much did you hate the Ducks and how much did the Civil War mean, especially that game? 
Uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I still hate the Ducks with a, with a passion. That game probably meant the most for me. Everybody's either a duck or a beaver. Every time you go out, and, and more, so, more so now, I think that, that, you know, I'm away from it and have just got to know people of all ages. But it's, it's funny when you go out and run into people, whether they're 10 years old and their parents raised them to be a diehard beaver fan or diehard duck fan, or it's the six-year-old guy you bump into at the bar. Like, everybody's one side or the other, right, for the most part, and, and just bleed those colors. So being able to be a part of that and knowing that that's something people are going to talk about for, you know, and they, and they still stop or talk to me about it once in a while. But, they're, I mean, they're going to talk about that for the rest of your life and have an opinion on it and, and want to talk to you about it. And it's been really cool over the years of people coming up and saying, oh, hey, that's, that's you, right? You were the guy and just saying, hey, congratulations. And that was pretty cool. I remember watching it, whether it's a duck or a beaver. I mean, that was just a really cool opportunity and, and being from the state of Oregon and, and talking to the folks I've gotten to know or just in my network through the, the you know, your daily, daily routine, it's kind of fun to either get a high five from a Beaver fan or, or run into a Duck fan and kind of change, exchange jabs and be like, oh, yeah, but I, I got you in 07. So that's always kind of fun. Did you get any pep talks? Did Lyle, a guy like Evanson or Alexa Cerna or any of the other leaders on the team come up to you in the locker room and calm you down or did, do you remember any guys coming up to in conversations you had leading up to that game you know it's funny you mentioned Lyle he, him and I were pretty close we were both in Portland I you know after college I went to Portland for 10 years and we were both up there for a little bit so we'd, we'd get together once in a while and keep tabs on each other but uh but no I just remember talking to Lyle and him kind of saying hey it's it's our game baby let's go get this done and he always had that relaxed happy-go-lucky big smile on his face so he you know he, I remember talking to him before the game he just came over he's like let's you know let's go today's our day and again that offensive line guys like Roy Shooning, Adam Spear, Kyle Devan, Andy Levitri we kind of got together before the game I remember talking talking with them on, the, on that first series and they're like it's time, it's time to go man we're gonna go get this done and just do your thing we'll open up the holes and let's kick the tires like the fire so to speak get rolling you know, I just – we had a pretty solid group of seniors that year. Um, had had some success the last couple of years and were, I think, confident in what we did. And when we got that opportunity, they just – we just they just kind of said, hey, man, let's let's go, Severson. Let's, let's get this done. So it was pretty cool. You and Lyle were the stars on that first drive of the game. Kicked the ball off, and it's a two-play drive. Lyle rifles a pass over the middle for a gain of, like, 20. Mm -hmm. Second play of the drive – you get the call. Do you remember what that play call was and what you were thinking as you got the handoff from Lyle and saw the hole? I can't remember what the actual play call was. I think Zeus and Zeke were both inside zone runs, so it was one of those. <laughs> it's funny, like the first hit you take of a game always hurts the worst, and then you kind of settle in, and for the most part, you don't really feel anything the rest of the game. But the first initial good, good hit always, you know, kind of calms you down or, or is a big one, and you kind of feel a little bit, and then you kind of calm down and settle into the game. And so, when I heard it was an inside run, my, my whole thing was I was going to run as hard as I could and pick up four or five yards and just look for someone to lower a shoulder into. I do remember on that play, we had James Rogers, who had just been killing everybody on the fly sweep all year. And I think the Ducks were geared up to stop that and weren't really worried about me being in the backfield and not having Evanson there. So we did run a fake fly motion. And I think half the defense followed him around the edge, and there was literally a hole you could drive a truck through. And so I went from trying to run through somebody that mindset to I just was hoping I didn't trip over my own feet because that was a it was you know just fast enough to make it to the end zone before anybody could get me because there was a hole there that unbelievable and it was just off to the races.
I was watching the whole game last night just to reminisce. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. And as I see you burst over the middle, and it's ironic because the first hit of the game kind of settles you down and you basically went untouched. So you, it took right. a while for you to right. have that, that first hit. As you got to the end zone, it was close. You nearly pulled a Chad Johnson where you dropped the ball right at the goal line. Were you scared later? Ooh, did I get across the plane? It crossed my mind. It's funny. I've, that's come up a couple times, and I didn't even know I did that until, like, I was back in the back of the end zone. and like, man, I might have dropped that a little early. But, I, you know, like I said, I've been asked that a couple times. And honestly, I was so pumped up. I don't even re- I don't remember even thinking about it or didn't even remember doing it. It's funny to say this. That was right about the time when DVRs came out so you could record games and pause them. And I remember being back home with my roommates and everybody was like going through screen by screen to see if it came out. And it was really close. Um, but yeah, that was I was I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I was like, wow, that was almost a little premature there. I think you were about a half yard across. I think I think you're good, but it, it was it, close. It was close. You talked about James Rogers and the fly sweep, and he was averaging 12 yards a carry coming into that game. But for the most part, the Ducks limited him pretty well. There was once or twice where he lost yards on a fly sweep or minimal gain. It wasn't until the very end on the signature play in overtime yeah. where he scored. How much do you think you played a role where, like you said, they were focusing on the fly sweep and paying less attention to the inside zone, do you think that your success running the ball ultimately forced them to stay home on you, which then opened up that fly sweep that ultimately won the game? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that that plays a little bit into it. I think, you know, James is in later in his career. I mean, he was an amazing player and you can only, you only hold him down so many times, right? He's, he's, he was super explosive and was going to make a big play. So I think that was a matter of time, but yeah, we had success running the ball. And I, I think, that allowed me to score on that first first handoff I had was them gearing up to stop that fly sweep. And then over the course of the game, just keep, you know, picking up four or five yards on the inside. And they, to that point, like you said, had had relative success keeping him quiet. So maybe the, maybe the scheme switched a little bit defensively to try to stop the inside run. And that gave him just enough space to get around the outside and break one. But um, that guy was unreal. So it was only a matter of time. You went pretty much untouched on your first run, but it was tough sledding a lot the rest of the game. There were a lot of runs where the Ducks were stuffing you right up the middle. How did your body feel running the ball 27 times? Your previous career high was 16 attempts. So to run the ball 27 times, getting tackled time after time, how were you feeling throughout that whole game? Yeah, that I, I found out that game is funny as, is, uh, you know, in high school, a lot I took, and, it, and the, it's not comparable, but it's, I took 30 carries, a lot of games, and was fine the next day, right? And up to that point in my career, you know, I knew I could take 10 touches and, and feel pretty good the next game. But you're obviously not thinking about it in the game, but that was, uh, that was a workload for me. And pretty much when I figured out that um, my body just couldn't take that many hits at, at that level. So, I, you know, I could do it. Um, I could do it here and there, but that's where you really got to tip the cap to guys like Ev, guys like Jaquiz Rogers, Steven Jackson, um, Brian, and all those other backs that have come through Oregon State and played at that level who take 30 hits game in and game out because that is, that is really a, a wear and tear on the body because I, I remember um, happy to do it in the game. Maybe you don't realize it, but you're wearing down in the fourth quarter, but it's a, it's a four or five day recovery after that. You know, for me, that, that was a lot. And obviously I was fine. It could it'd probably do it here and there, but that really says something about about those other backs or the guys in college football that can do that week in and week out because that's that's not easy and that is a that's a toll on the body. 
Take, let's go through the final sequence of regulation. Tie ball game, you're kind of trying to waste a little time because you're trying to get a field goal attempt with as little time left as possible. One incomplete pass, there's about a minute left. You run the ball to get down to, I think it was about the 17-yard line, and the Ducks call a timeout before Alexis has his field goal attempt, which ultimately got blocked, but mm -hmm. you didn't know that at the time. Do you remember that run? Because it looked like you took a pretty good shot at just yeah. inside the 20-yard line. Yeah, I think at that point we were thinking, hey, just four or five yards and, you know, and, and chew a little clock and pick up a couple yards on a couple runs and set this up and then Alexis is going to knock it through and it's game over, right? It was funny as a whirlwind of emotions there because we, we really thought we put ourselves in position to win the game and then the Ducks came back and almost had a chance, you know, they kind of botched a field goal attempt to, to win it after, after the block. But yeah, I mean, that was a crazy ending. And then in, in overtime, you know, it just got, it just got more intense from there with James going around the end and then, and then stuff and, um, Jonathan Stewart on fourth and one. So that was, uh, from what I remember, that was a crazy whirlwind of emotions. I, I do remember standing next to Roy Shooting, though, when the Ducks were about to kick the field to win the game. And we were, oddly enough, we were both kind of on one knee just saying, hey, this is it's going to work out. We're going to chance to win this in overtime. And actually, when he missed it, neither one of us, you remember this vividly, neither, neither one of us celebrated or, or had any really reaction to it. Just put the helmet back on and say, okay, let's go get this done in overtime. But yeah, I do, to, <laughs> I do remember, I think it was, it was Nick Reed. It was one of their DNs kind of speared me or hit me right in the back after I'd been down for, you know, after a bounce off initially getting tackled at the end of that. I do remember that not feeling the greatest, but, you know, didn't didn't have any impact on the rest of the game or anything. He, I think it was him who had a couple where James Rogers had a fumble recovery and then there was like, he fell on him like 10 seconds after he picked up the ball. It was like, what's going on here? But uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> double overtime, take me through the, elation and the the emotions the game wasn't over when James Rogers scored the touchdown but it was a huge play what do you remember about seeing him break a tackle Howard Crooms block and him streaking down the sideline yeah I think we traded field goals in the first overtime and it didn't really get a lot done on the offensive side of the ball Alexa actually hit a clutch 40 something yarder for our, our field goal on that which we didn't put him in a good spot Fly sweep on the second overtime that James scored on. It might have been the first play of that series. Yeah, watching the replay, in, in kind of like we talked about earlier, you know he's going to make a play at some point. He, he, I think he stiff-armed and kind of ran, outran a guy around the edge, got a good block from Brandon Powers, or, or I believe, and was able to put it in the end zone. But um, I, just, I just remember taking the fake up the middle on that and, and kind of catching the middle linebacker, the backside linebacker, kind of holding them. And then uh, once I saw James get out, outside around the guy and got and got the corner I knew we were in business so I was trying to catch him as fast as I could and it was kind of funny he ended up in the corner of the end zone where all the Oregon Oregon students were so I think Brandon Powers and I were the first ones to him high five and everything and I just remember all the students in the duck section just losing their minds and I think we were giving them a little bit of some hand gestures and may have got one or two middle fingers back our direction but it was uh it was certainly a lot of fun to catch up with James and I think Lyle joined us back there we were having a blast fourth and one where Derek Doggett had just made a tackle on a third down just short of the first down marker so now it's fourth down and one yard to go you're probably watching on the sideline I don't know if you're held it up talking to your coordinator or position coach or maybe you were just full attention watching the game but what's your memory of that fourth down and one play that ended up being the final play of the game yeah I mean we we had a heck of a defense that year and I mean, I, I think if I remember right, Joey LaRock was, was playing that game and he pulled a hamstring, so he wasn't in on that last series. He was one of our better linebackers. Derek Doggett was, was amazing that whole season. 
but you know we we felt good especially getting a touchdown on the board we, we felt good about the defense holding them fourth and one and you know Jonathan Stewart's one of the best backs in the country you know never really comfortable there but uh, I think Keaton Christick came in and, and we got in on that tackle and Dorian Smith who was playing hurt the whole game one of our better defensive ends just made a hell of a play and uh, and especially when you watch the replay because I watched it a few times on that fourth down you know Jonathan goes hard towards the line and Dorian gets an arm on him and just stonewalls him and then I think Doggett and Christick showed up to finish it but that was uh that was pretty awesome, and, and I don't even think it was close on the fourth and one. I think they got him pretty much right at the line or a little bit behind, and uh, and I just remember a big sigh of relief, and then, hey, let's go celebrate because that was uh, that was an awesome play by those guys. A couple last questions about that game and how it affected you as a person. Some players never have that one game that becomes their signature moment. They, you know, get some touches here and there, have a decent career, but they're never a starter and they still were as good as they otherwise would have been, doesn't change their talent level. So you didn't become a better player because of that civil war, but you had the opportunity to start and you made the most of it. If you didn't have that game where you started your final regular season game of your career, Mm -hmm. would you have still known how capable and good you were? That's a great question. Um, It always feels good to be validated. I guess that's what I'm most thankful for is to have the opportunity to show what I could do. I felt like I could always play at that level. And and funny enough, when, you know, after my first two years at uh, playing a defensive back, that third year I switched to offense and was playing special teams. But during the week, I, you know, I was a scout team receiver running back. And and that's when, you know, I felt like I could play at that level because we had, we had really good defenses and really good run defense at that, at that time. And I'd play against those guys on, you know, their ones and twos on defense. And I'd get some compliments or the respect that way. So I felt good and felt like I could play at that level. If I didn't have that chance to start, though, and I never got to show it, that would have been, I think, frustrating. And it felt really good to get the opportunity and the validation of like, hey, all this work and spending the time with these guys. And, and it just, you know, it all paid off because I, I proved to myself that I could play at that level and, and know I can compete at that level. Because, you know, I'm not to I try to sound too preachy or anything, but there's a lot of good players, I think, at that level across the country in those programs and never get a chance to show what they can do just because it's, it's you know, it's a highly, it's, it's highly competitive. And if a guy doesn't get injured or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of circumstances where if you don't get your opportunity or don't, get, don't take advantage when you get your opportunity, you never really get to prove yourself or, or chance to show what you can do. You know, you don't, you don't get a lot of them. It's, it's, you might get a handful of chances or, two or three chances to catch the coach's eye. And if you don't do it, you're three or four guys coming in every year that are really, really talented that are going to get opportunities. And, you know, if you miss one, you might, you might not get another one. So um, to have, to have that workout where I had the opportunity to show that and prove to myself, I think most importantly that, that yeah, yes, in fact, you're, it's, you know, I can do this and I'm comfortable and I should be at this level um, was amazing for me. And then the chance to just, you know, for friends and family and stuff to say, hey, you know, that all paid off and it was fun to see you do that was was pretty darn neat. That Civil War victory ended up being the final game, the final win over Oregon for nearly a decade. How painful was it to watch the losses in 08, 09, 10, all the way through 2015? It was rough, rough. That's uh, two things on that that stand out to me is, is the next two years, I think, the winner went to the Rose Bowl, and we lost. We lost both those games. The, my my fifth year, I was I was finishing up school. I wasn't playing anymore because I, I played my first four years there. But those were all the guys I came in with, right? That was my recruiting class: Slade Norris, Andy Levitri, Alan Darlin, Daniel Drayton. Like 
I mean, we just Lyle was still playing quarterback at that time. To, to have to stand there on the sidelines and watch that game go the way it did and, and knowing the guys I came in with who were, who were some of my best friends on the team and they, you know, just the heartbreak because they'd been putting in all year and having the success, that was really tough. And then over the years, I mean, you know, you you get to know some younger guys and people don't remember that for, for 12 or 14 years or whatever it was, it would just go every other year who would win the Civil War. And, and um, you know, you get to it, six, eight years go by and people think that, the Ducks are just such a class ahead of, of the of the Beavers in football, which obviously they were at that point, but don't remember how competitive it used to be. So listening to some of those comments or or having to having to hear that and see that happen was was tough for you know for a diehard beaver and an ex player. So it was it was good to good to finally break that streak and get back on the right side of things. Were you at the twenty sixteen Civil War and what are your memories of the, the feeling of the satisfaction of seeing Oregon State finally win one again? I was at that game. I was on the sideline with uh, Slade Norris and Greg Laborn. That was so much fun to watch. That was another game where I, I felt good about it and watch watch Nall play. Obviously, a hell of a player, and he was just rolling all, all game long. So, and when that game finally wrapped up, that was just a feeling of relief. And again, hey, let's go celebrate because we've been waiting for this for a long time. But to, to have a dominant performance like Nall did it in that game where they couldn't stop him, and you just knew. I mean, that was the old adage of football where, it, you know, it's in his, in his case, that game it was like eight yards in a cloud of dust. But they just – they knew he was coming up the middle and they couldn't do a thing about it, and that was just fun to watch. He's also an Oregonian, bruiser of a running back. His last Civil War, if I remember correctly, did his game remind you of yourself, your own Civil War nine years prior? I was never that dominant. So in the sense that both, you know, both Oregon kids – showing up playing in the home state and, and having good rushing performances and, and carrying Oregon State to a win in the Civil War. Like, yeah, that, that was pretty cool, you know, to kind of kind of have that same experience. But, I, you know, I mean, he was, he was absolutely dominant. So he was, he's at a whole nother level. But um, pretty cool to see another kid from Oregon. When he got in the system, too, with, to Oregon State, I don't really think they had a solid position for him. They were talking about running back or maybe – or, sorry, linebacker, maybe tight end, and then he ended up playing running back, which I understand he was pretty darn good at high school at. And, and to see him get that chance and just have a great career there was pretty cool. The similar stories there, you know, so that's, that was fun to watch. Right, yeah. Oregonian switches from defense to offense. But you're humble enough to say, hey, look, he had, he had even more, at least stats-wise. But, yeah, I got He was a beast. <laughs> yeah. All right. These are great memories of the football. Let's move on to kind of what's happened in your life and, and what you've learned, what you've developed. You talked about graduating the next year. You were up in Portland for about a decade. You're back in Central Oregon. Um, how has your life developed professionally and other things off the field as you transitioned away from athletics? Yeah, I think the biggest things I took from, from my time at Oregon State and, and the opportunity I got there and being part of the you know, Coach Riley's program, one is just work ethic and staying, staying with it and keep picking yourself up and things are going to go right. You know, he always talks about peaks and valleys and just showing up and going to work every day and doing the best you can. I think that's been instrumental in the in the success I've had as as an adult or, or you know my life after football I came out in 09 right after the session right after the recession wasn't a lot of a ton of a ton of people hiring at that point but was able to find a, a job to to succeed at and actually had a pretty good career for for eight years up up in Portland or so in, in sales and you know I think a lot of that perseverance came from playing for coach Riley and just the attitude that you got to go to work every day, right? And there's going to be hard days and there's, there's going to be days where you're just on cloud nine, but can't change the approach or the attitude and just keep plugging away. But yeah, I had, had a great time up in Portland. Always wanted to get back to Bend. Um, switched career paths about, about three years ago now. And then I uh, had an offer, offer from a, co a company 
really good guy, good friend of mine to do mortgages in Central Oregon and move back to Bend and, and took advantage of that and have absolutely loved it. Great to be home and just enjoy Central Oregon, all the outdoor activities. And my family's here for the most part, my mom and my sisters and nieces and nephews. And so couldn't, couldn't be happier with how things have gone there and kind of hitting, hitting my stride and in the mortgage business, what I'm doing now and kind of got everything, everything out in front of me, the goals I want to accomplish and just have to keep working every day to get it done. And again, and hopefully I'm not too far of a tangent, but I think that's goes back to the approach that's, um, you know, Riley laid out and the program had at Oregon state where it's just, Hey, this is where we want to go. And this is how we're going to get there and peaks and valleys, but you just got to show up every day and work. I, I hear similar stories from Alexis Cerna and all the, the highs and lows he had and the message from Mike Riley of never blink. And that right. brought him to work through some difficult moments in his life, career opportunities that fell through and things he didn't think would happen, but did. And so it seems like for you also, Mike right. Riley helped develop you. As you look back more, you kind of brought me through the career stops you've had and, and where you've lived as a broader and more deep life lessons that you learned as a person how would you say Matt Severson is different now you know 12 13 years removed from your college career and graduating from Oregon State how are you different as a person and what have you learned means to be successful and meaningful in life yeah that's um that's a great that's a great question so I hope I hope I answer that that correctly. And it's funny, it's, I'm 33 now. And, and, you know, back then I was, I was a great young for always going through school. So I think I was 21 when I graduated and, and it's almost like I wake up some days and can't believe it. You know, that was once life one, because I'm physically like, I can't do anything that I used to, and you know, don't, ex- don't quite get as uh, quick up and down the basketball court. Can't really turn it on like I used to, or I might pull a hamstring if I actually tried to sprint. So I can't remember the last time I actually tried to run full speed, but um you know, so the physical part's different, uh, obviously, but, um, you know, my, my biggest thing is just, uh, you think you got it all figured out. I think when you graduate from high school and then you get to college and realize you don't, you don't know anything. And then you a couple of years in college and you figure, you think you got it all figured out. And, and then you get to the end of college and you don't, you know, you change so much in that time and keep thinking that it's, you know, I, I figured it out, I figured it out and then keep getting humbled and having to, having to come up with a plan or, or grow up a little bit and re rethink how you approach things. And I, I just think that it's once I got through the mid twenties and kind of chasing money that here and there and, and trying to figure out exactly what I wanted in life and what was meaningful, what gave you purpose or direction, you know, it's just been a process and there's been a lot of that. And I hope that's making sense of, you know, as you go through the stages of senior in high school and going out on your own for the first time, and then you get to college and you, you think you figure it out but you really don't know what you're doing. And then you've been there for four or five years and maybe you're established in a program and you, you kind of got things figured out for the most part. And you're like, okay, I got it from here on out and you get out of college and you're like, wow, the real world is really, really scary. Cause I, I can remember being ready to get out of college and like, get me out of here. I want to start real life. And about after three months of real life, I do anything to go back to college and be on that program again. But it's, it's just, um, and maybe this is, this goes back to riding that program a little bit is just, you just got to enjoy the journey and, and go to work every day and do what you need to do. And I don't think you ever quite figure it out, so to speak, but you realize, Hey, I got a, I got a plan in place of just working and doing the key things and, and be at peace or comfortable with kind of the uncertainty and knowing that if I, if I stay true to my values and, and keep working how I know to work, that things are going to work themselves out. 
I think I've gotten to that place where I'm just comfortable and, and I know who I am. And I know my values and what I, what I want in life. And, and I, I, I try to stay true to those as much as possible. So I just feel like I'm in a real good place and comfortable with where, where I'm at in life currently. And I'm sure things will change, but um, you know, it's funny is uh, you, you, the other big thing I'd say is you, you go from being known as a, as a football player and kind of a tough kid and a, and a running back and a certain physical or uh, trying to be a dominant, I guess, physical um, specimen is not the right word, but mindset where, you know, that's it's football is a violent game and you have to have that part of, Hey, you know, it's kind of kill or be killed out on the field. And it's funny to watch that attitude go from, or got to be in the best shape possible to over the years. It's just, I'm so laid back and happy go lucky that it's that that whole, I think mindset or, or part of me for the most part is, you know, was, was great when I had it, when I needed it in the college football days. And now it's just not a, I mean, not a part of, of my day to day. It's always fun to hear, yeah, the retrospect and and guys who are grown up, and you still got a lot of life. Hopefully, sixty more years to continue oh, learning and growing <laughs> and and reminisce about about Oregon State. Last thing, I use this platform to give some free exposure and advertising to businesses or charities. Is there a an organization you want to give a mention to, or a, a restaurant in Corvallis you wish you could frequent more often when you when you go back to Corvallis? Always wish I could go to local boys more often. I'd be there a couple times a week if, if I had the opportunity. But um, no, the company I work for now, Northwestern Home Loans, um, the owner's a great friend of mine, great, great guy, but he does a lot of work for veterans with, with mental illness. We contribute a lot to, the, to what's called SAR, Save a Warrior Program. So with the suicide epidemic for, for veterans with PTSD these days, what we do is he takes $100 at least minimum from every loan we close and he, and he donates to that program. Holds a great charity golf event um, once a year where we're able to raise, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. For me, it's kind of really hit home when you see the issues that, of mental illness around the population, but specifically with veterans and to work for someone, you know, it's, it's just more of a cause or a purpose that, hey, obviously you're working for yourself and your own economic well-being, but when you see the ability to give back to, to that group of people who really need help, really makes it more pretty powerful. How can people uh, find that or help out or donate? The event we host, the golf event and big dinner charity event we host uh, every year in the summer, it's called The Scotch. You can actually just Google it, The Scotch uh, from Northwestern Home Loans. It will give you a whole whole rundown of, of the event and what's involved and how you can donate. Uh, like I said, $100 from every loan at minimum goes to support Save a Warrior. Even if you don't have an opportunity to go to The Scotch or do business with Northwestern Home Loans, I just really encourage uh, to go check out Save a Warrior they have their own website and you get all the information there, but really, really powerful stuff about taking these people who are, who are literally on the edge of, you know, of ending their lives and, and going and take, giving them two weeks at a, at a retreat and putting them through classes and, and helping them realize their self-worth. So that's, um, I think, something that makes a great impact and really meaningful, you know, that I'm lucky enough to be a part of. I love to hear that. Matt, thanks so much for your time reminiscing about 2007. It's always fun to look back at those memories and hear your recollections of that and everything that's happened in life since what we saw on ESPN and all the stuff that happens without the cameras following you around. So thanks so much for talking with me today. You got to really, really appreciate the opportunity. Well, there is Matt Severson, such a key figure in Civil War history due to that 2007 outburst in Otson Stadium. What a crazy thought to think, what if he'd never gotten that opportunity? Some players just are mired in a backup role their whole career, and it could have been totally possible that Evanson Bernard was healthy that game like he normally was, and Matt Severson would have totaled, you know, 15, 20 rushing yards that game, and his career would still have been respectable, but he wouldn't have that one moment where most people remember him as the 2007 Civil War guy. 
Or what if it went the other way, that Oregon State never had Evans and Bernard and maybe he was the starter for a year or two and then he'd be known for even more than that. And as he commented on, you know, not everybody has those opportunities in the first place. you got to capitalize on them, do the most with what you got, and Matt is a perfect example of that and made the most of that 2007 game, a double overtime thriller. That'll be a fun one to come back to and a project I'm working on documenting that 2007 game and Matt Severson was in the center of that game and fun to hear what he's been up to since then in the professional world going back to bend and helping people out in the uh, in the mortgage game hey if you liked this episode or have thoughts on this conversation or future guests you'd like to hear feel free to let me know i'm on twitter at bright ties the word bright and the word ties with the username josh warden you can let me know on there and uh, tweet at me who you want to have on the show or what your thoughts were of previous episodes as well as seeing uh, updates I give on who's coming on this show and so forth. Feel free to rate this show and text a friend about it. I love uh, having more people listen to the Beaver Tales podcast, and there are a lot more fun conversations to come. Until next time, go Beavs. Thanks for listening to the Beaver Tales podcast.